0: Well, if you have your Bibles, we're in Colossians, so I'll encourage you to go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is one of my favorite books, as I explained, um, I memorized Colossians 3 when I was a student in my high school youth group, and I've always loved this passage. So as we begin, and and kind of as Brian has already talked about, he he began by talking about what God's doing in him, and so I just want to, before that, God's gospel does a work for us. When we come to know Christ, when we believe in Him, God transforms us. He changes us. He takes us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He declares us justified, meaning we are declared righteous. We are adopted into His family for all of eternity, that we would be called sons and daughters. That's what the gospel does for us. All grace, it transforms us, it changes us, it adopts us, it justifies us. But that's not all it does. Upon being transformed, upon being raised with Christ, which that's what we looked at last week, he hides us in Christ that we would mature in him, that we'd become, and one of the words that we'll use today is sanctified. And That's kind of one of those big words, but it's, it's one of those words that means becoming more and more like Jesus. So when we're justified, declared righteous, we're also simultaneously sanctified and being sanctified. So when you come to know Christ, you enter into this process of becoming more and more like Him your entire life. Or as Paul will say in Colossians one twenty eight, he works hard that he would be able to present us all mature in Christ. And that's that's the title of today that we would reach maturity, that we would continue to mature and become like Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look. How do we mature? How do we grow in sanctification? How do we become like Jesus? And so to look at that, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. So I want to invite you to stand. We stand when we read God's word as a way of honoring God and worshiping him. Chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let me pray. Father, Father, as we look at the work that you are doing in us because of the gospel, give us understanding today. God, help us to see that you have saved us that we would be sanctified. And the very grace that saves us is the grace that sanctifies us. God, give us understanding of your word. God, help us to to grow in maturity even as we listen to your word today and as we study it. May your spirit be upon us. Lord, if there is sin in our hearts, in our lives, God, help us to put that to death today. Help us to take that off that we'd become more like you. In your wonderful name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. So as we begin, what I want to do is, I just want to zoom out of the gospel for a few moments, and I want to make sure we have the correct perspective as as we come into this uh, passage. There's a thing that when we look at God's word, we see Two heads of humanity, and that's that's what I want to talk about today. And some of you might be going, "I have no idea where he's going at this moment," but you will you will soon. Um, when we look at God's word and we go all the way back to Genesis, we see that God created a man named Adam. Adam is the very first uh, first create or first man that was created. He was created in the image of God. God was man's uh, or man Adam was the representative of all humanity at that time on earth and you and i and every single person who has ever been born can trace our lineage back to adam so we all come from adam and when adam was created he was created holy he was created blameless he was pure But then as we know, as we progress through the story, in chapter 3, he rebels against the authority of God's word. He rebels against God. He says, I don't want to worship you. I want to do what I want. He sins, and he experienced the spiritual death at that moment. He was separated from the presence of God. He no longer enjoyed God's rule and God's blessings, but he was separated. He became completely sinful, meaning every thought, everything he did was now tainted with sin. And everyone who comes after him now looks like Adam because he is the representative of humanity. So just as you and I, we look like our parents, we all look like Adam. And we're all born sinful. So just as Adam became sinful, and now as we come from him, every single one of us is born sinful. Born in rebellion against God. Born as lawbreakers. And so because of that, because we're sinful, we don't have a means, a way of of correcting that, of fixing that, of becoming holy. It's kind of like if you ever work on your car and you do an oil change and you get grease on you, and then you take your hand and you try to wipe it off, but your hand has grease on you, what happens? You just wipe grease everywhere on you. And so that's kind of what happens as People who are in Adam, all we can do is spread sin on ourselves. We can't clean ourselves. So we're hopeless in that sense. We have no way of redeeming ourselves, no way of saving ourselves, no way of coming back into the very presence of God where we experience His rule and blessing. But then comes Jesus. And Jesus comes as the promised seed in Genesis 3. We see that there's going to be one who comes from a woman. And he will do battle with the serpent. And we see that he is, not of, he is not the son of Adam, but he is the son of God. He is perfect. He is holy in every way. He is without spot. He is without blemish. And he comes to rescue us by dying on the cross so that if you and I, we believe in him, we would be saved and we would be justified, declared righteous, and transferred from under God Adam to under Christ Christ becomes the new representative of the new redeemed humanity and so this is why Paul earlier in Colossians he says that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son there's been a transfer we're no longer of Adam we are now of Christ and if you've been a Christian for a while you've probably heard the language have you been born again And it sounds kind of weird at times. And when you walk up to an unbeliever and says, have you been born again? Do you want to be born again? They just think we're strange. That's what Nicodemus thought. You know, Jesus is talking to him and he goes, you want me to crawl back in my mom so I can be born again? Like, he's got no clue. But we're born in Adam, right? We're born sinful. And everything about Adam characterizes us, right? But then when we become born of christ we're born into a new humanity with a new head that's what paul talks about also in colossians jesus is the head of the church in chapter two he is the head where we derive all of our life and our and our being from and so just when we as when we were adam sin and rebelliousness characterized us now that we're in christ love and worship and holiness characterizes us and so that's, that's what we're looking at today, is, is what happens now that we come into Adam. And so I want to read two passages that just show this Adam, in, or now that we're in Christ, sorry, mix that up. I want to show just two passages that reveal this Adam in Christ. And one of them is, is probably the best passage, it's, it's Romans 5, and uh, Romans 5 is, is a great place to understand The idea of Adam and the sin that comes from him, and the idea of Christ and the righteousness that comes from him. And I believe this is going to be up on the screen, uh, because I I wanted to make sure we didn't miss it. And I'm going to add a couple words here. I'm going to add the word Adam a couple times, just to make sure that we're seeing what Paul is saying about Adam. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, Adam, For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man, Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life of the one man who? Jesus Christ Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Look, a fundamental truth of Christianity is that we're all born in Adam. And only by faith in Christ are we now born in Christ there's a transfer that goes on in our salvation we go from one kingdom to another kingdom the kingdom that's under the condemnation of god to the kingdom of righteousness where his son dwells one other passage this is in colossians 3 this is our text this morning and if you look down at verses 9 and 10 we're going to see this it says put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed and the knowledge after the image of its creator well it's a little hard to understand because it uses the word self instead of the word man but if we were to take it and say we have taken off the old man adam and have put on the new man christ it makes sense it just We track a little better. We see that connection there. And so, taking off the old self with its practices, we're no longer Adam, and therefore we no longer live like Adam, but now we're in Christ, and what's happening? We're being renewed in His image. We're being made like Jesus. So one question that we always must know, and we must wrestle with, and we pose to others is, which man are you in? Which humanity are you in? Are you in Adam Are you in Christ? And that's something that we we need to wrestle with and that we need to know clearly only by faith in Christ through His grace do we go from Adam, characterized of rebellion, to Jesus, which is characterized by, by holiness and worship of God. And so what we're going to do this morning is simply talk about what does it look like that now we're in Christ? What does it look like? That's what Brian was coming up and kind of sharing what it looks like as he's kind of gone through the Word and now he wants to be more part of the church and he's growing in his understanding and his love for Jesus. That's what this passage is given to us that we would understand how do we live? How do we grow in sanctification? How do we grow in maturity? How do we grow in Christlikeness. So if you've ever wondered this, this passage answers this question and parents especially, when your children come to you and they say, You know, how do we become more like Jesus? You tell us that we're to be like Jesus. What does that look like? You can come to Colossians 3, and you can walk them through what that looks like. And so that's what we're going to do today. We begin with two commands. Verse 5, you are to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Again, what's earthly? That which characterizes Adam, his kingdom, rebellion, disobedience. If you go back to chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, where do we seek and set our minds? On heaven, where Christ is seated. And so these earth and, and heaven is being contrasted here. In verse 8, we're really given the same command that we have in verse 5. It's phrased a little differently. But he says, we must put them all away. Take off, be done with, rid ourselves. And so, what is Paul saying? He's saying, you're no longer in Adam. Stop living like Adam. That's what he's saying. That's not who you are. You're not in Adam, don't live like Adam. And then he gives us two lists. The first list in verse 5 that we're to put to death and take off is sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness. The second list we see in verse 8, we're to take off anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk. Now these aren't comprehensive These are simply uh, just examples of the things that we are to do. But a couple things to notice. The first list begins with action. It begins with sexual morality. And it goes towards the heart. Covetousness, which is idolatry. It goes from the physical act of sexual morality to the heart of an immoral heart of covetousness, idolatry. The second list begins with the heart. It begins with anger. And then it goes towards actions, which is obscene talk. So I think what Paul is doing here, he's showing the comprehensiveness of sin. Because what he's saying is, put to death sin. Oh, you're, you're, you're using obscene talk? We'll just stop talking that way. Well, no, if you're using words in a way that's derogatory, in a way that's, that in a way that's um, hurtful towards others, that's pointing back to your heart. If you have, if you have desires of sexual morality you don't just say oh i just need to stop lusting i just i just shouldn't look at that i just need to remove these things from my eyes well actually you have a heart that wants what it doesn't have it covets other people's things it's a heart of dissatisfaction and so i think what paul is doing here he's showing that the actions are connected to the heart and he's showing that we're not just talking about actions like like the fruit of a tree If we're going to change the fruit of a tree, we have to get to the root system, right? We have to affect it where the life comes in at. And so here, he's showing that if you have external sins, that's pointing to internal sins, like anger and covetousness and idolatry. And then notice verse 6. It's because of these things the wrath of God is coming. It's because of this God is coming against all those who are in adam and this world that he would judge it and look at verse 7 it's encouraging and yet convicting you used to all walk in these ways all of us are characterized by sin in adam all of us were but notice the encouraging part you used to walk it's past tense you walked in these ways i mean you don't walk in these ways anymore because now you're in christ you've been raised new his spirit dwells in you so that does not characterize you so it's encouraging and condemning at that convicting at that same time one thing we then must realize is that um if that which used to be which condemned us um why would we want to be near it now? I think a lot of us we we play with sin, or we kind of take a very tame nature at sin. We kind of look at sin and we go, "Well, I'm a Christian. I'm forgiven." Um, we don't we don't necessarily see a need to fight for sin or, or fight against sin. But just as we don't play, uh, we don't place our hand over the whole of a king cobra and just kind of play with it. I wonder what's going to happen. What's going to happen? going to get bit and die that's what sin wants to do to us it wants to kill us in Adam it it had us and only in Christ are we freed from it but in this life as we're still being made more like Jesus we're going to wrestle with sin and sin wants to kill you it wants to separate you from sin it says let's play Russian roulette with a fully loaded revolver we have no chance if we want to play with sin It wants to hurt, kill, and destroy. Back in uh, December 22nd, 2006, at a zoo, there was a Siberian tiger named uh, Tadian. You might have remember this. Um, During zoo hours, while there's you know people visiting the zoo, the trainer is in the cage. The tiger turns on him and eats his arm in front of all the spectators who are right there. And of course, that brought up a whole lot of social media things. But the whole idea is that you can't tame a tiger just because he's caged. And and we don't tame sin. And we can't cage sin. And and we think that because when we're dating people, what do we often say? How far can I go? Right? How close can I get to actually having sex without having sex before it's sin? Where's the line? What, What does that mean? Like, how close can I get to the king cobra? Like, just how close? Is this close enough? Will he strike yet? How close can I get to the bloodthirsty lion? Can I just go and hug him? If I approach him from the back, am I okay? But you know, we think that. And it's stupid. We're literally saying, let's just, let's just spin the revolver a couple times. And it's fully loaded. But we think that way a lot of times. We counsel people a lot of times. But if, that which used to condemn, if sin is what used to condemn us, we shouldn't say, how close can I get? But rather we say, how do I keep drawing close to Christ? How do I keep going near Christ? How do I become more like Him? That I would hate sin more. We think that we can coexist with sin we, we don't coexist with sin. One pastor and theologian, Brian Hedges, said, "'Sin will never be domesticated. "'It's a wolf, not a dog, a piranha, not a goldfish. "'Evil is untamable. "'It's our enemy, opposed to us in every way. "'At every moment, sin is wired to destroy.'" This is why Paul uses violent language when he's talking about sin. You go to the rest of the Bible, and he's like, be loving, love one another, patient, kindness, tenderness, merciful, fruit of the Spirit. It's beautiful, right? Like, we love those pictures. Those are the ones that we put on our coffee mugs, and we're like, oh, the fruit of the Spirit, love. Like, we like that. What if we just put on it? Kill sin today. But when he's talking about sin, it's always mortification. It's kill it. Because if we're not killing it, it's trying to kill us. Let me read one other quote. Richard Baxter, a Puritan um, pastor, he said this, Use sin as it will use you. Spare it not, for it will not spare you. It is your murderer and the murderer of the world. Use it, therefore, as a murderer should be used. Kill it before it kills you. And then, though it kill your bodies... It shall not be able to kill your souls. And though it bring you to the grave as it did your head, Jesus, it shall not be able to keep you there. If the thoughts of death and the grave and rottenness are not pleasant to you, do not let the thoughts of sin be pleasant. Do you hear that? Like that's, I love that line. If the thoughts of death and the grave and rottenness are not pleasant to you, do not let the thoughts of sin be pleasant. Listen to every temptation to sin as you would listen to a temptation to self-murder. And as you would do if the devil brought you a knife and tempted you to cut your own throat with it, so do when he offers you the bait of sin, meaning kill sin before it tries to kill you. We must be violent against our sin. We're not violent against people. that's different. We're not violent against people. We're violent against our sin. So I want to encourage you... um, as, before we move on, I know there's some of you, and, and we've all been here, and we've struggled with this, that you have sin in your life, and you know that there's sin in your life, and you've just chosen to ignore it. You're kind of doing that coexisting thing, the happy, natural, bloodthirsty tiger just living with you. But if, if that's you, if you know there's sin in you right now, if there's just something you've just been ignoring, I, I want to encourage you to, to repent of that today. That sin's trying to kill you. It wants to pull you away from Christ. It wants to destroy you. It wants to hurt you. It does not want you to have life in Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if, if that's you anywhere, if you have that sin, bring that to repentance day, And we'll even look in a few moments about what it is to kill sin. Um, second command. If you go down to verse 12, which we did not read, but we'll read now. We'll look at this more next week. But it says, put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now there's your coffee cup verse. Right? That's what we put on. What is it? The character of Christ. So what's Paul saying? First, he says you're not in adam stop living like adam now he's saying you're in jesus live like jesus that's that's the point and and he says this in our passage verse 10 by saying you're being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator who's the creator well paul in chapter one of colossians said jesus not only created all things and sustains all things but what else did he say and he's making all things new through the cross. A new redeemed humanity where one day there will be a new heavens and new earth where his kingdom will dwell perfectly. He's the creator of all things and of all new things. And he's the one who by faith we're being made more like. So to summarize, the way we mature in Christ is taking off sin and putting on likeness that's what it is so when you're talking to your kids when you're talking to your spouse when you're talking to whoever on the street and they say well, what does it look like to be a Christian what well, means we continue to look to believe in Jesus we, we continue to live like him we continue to try to look like him uh Brian said it really well earlier we learn Jesus so that we live like Jesus So how do we take off and put on? So I just want to look at that. How do we do this? Okay, so that's how we grow in maturity. How do we do it? Um, Number one, the Word of God. It's the Word of God that tells us who we are in Christ. The Word tells us that by faith we've been raised in Christ. It's the Word that tells us that, right? It's the Word that tells us by faith you were transferred from Adam to Christ, kingdom of darkness to kingdom of light. It's the Word that tells us you're now hidden in Christ. It's the Word that tells us you're not trying to climb in Christ by taking off and putting on things, but you're in Christ and that's why you can take off and put on things. It's the Word of Christ that tells us what to put off, right? What do we take off? Well, that which characterizes Adam. Sin, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from our lips. And it tells us what to put on. Humility, kindness, mercy, love, forgiveness, bearing with one another. It's God's Word that tells us how to kill sin. We're not going to look at the Galatians passage that you have. Um, I added this one today though, but it's Ephesians 6.17. And it says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Listen, the way we kill sin is the Spirit who dwells in us uses the power of God's Word to expose and kill sin in our life. That this, is, this is the means that He uses. This is the tool right here. God's Word to kill sin in our life. Which means that if you're not in the Word, you're showing up to a duel without a gun. You understand? Like You have nothing. What are you, what are you killing anything with? This is what the Spirit uses. The Word of God. It instructs us what to take off. It instructs us what to take on. It's the power in which we kill sin it's where we see the very promises of god secondly the people of god and we're going to look at this all next week is what does it look like for this new redeemed humanity to live with one another but the people of god what we're told in colossians 3 is that you've been raised with christ and hidden in christ and if someone else has been raised with christ and hidden with christ and those two people work together they both have christ in them so they would what Help one another grow in Christ's likeness. That's what we are. We're the body of Christ. One of the reasons we come together is that we'd grow together. We'd spur one another on. If there's sin in your life, the body comes to you to help encourage and correct, just as you go to other parts of the body when there is sin. This is why when when we do begin to fall into sin, what's what's two of the fastest things that we stop doing? We stop reading the word and we stop gathering with the body right you want to know if someone's struggling with sin they're not with the church and they're not in the word so just on a real practical level here um, we need every one of us to be watching out for every one of us if there is someone who's not here and you notice that now sometimes we're sick and i get that but it's still nice to call people when they're sick uh, but we should be checking on them we should be pursuing them when they're not here Because sin wants to draw us away from the church. And what sin often does is is when the lifeguard comes and tries to save us because we're drowning in our sin, what do we do? We stiff arm them, right? We're like trying to keep the lifeguard away from us so that we can drown faster. Because that's what sin wants to do. It wants to try to stay away from the body. Therefore, we need to move towards one another. Which means also, you don't have to wait for me. Yay! Yay! So think about it is, you're the lifeguard on duty and someone you see is beginning to drown you don't call the lifeguard station several hundred yards away and say hey buddy i got someone over here and they're kind of drowning right now could you come over and get them that's what we do if we treat the pastors or the elders that way okay like it's good you call them i need backup okay i'm going in there's someone drowning i need you to know be praying start running bring whatever help but you still go. And so I want to encourage you that you don't need my permission. You don't need Bill's permission. When, when there's people who are hurting, that's what we're called to do as a body, as family. We move towards one another. Sure, let other people know. Let me know. Let others, but move towards them. I, I can't encourage that enough. That's what we are saved to do. We are God's instruments as a means of saving one another, of sanctifying one another. God uses us that for that very purpose. Purpose. Number three, we repent. And I just want you to think about repentance here. Because this this was good for me this week. It was kind of like one of those little light bulbs came on. What are we talking about? We're talking about taking off, putting on. We're talking about sanctification. We're talking about maturing in Christ. We're talking about looking more like Jesus. Well, if we're taking something off, we're saying, I don't want this. I'm rejecting this. I'm turning from this. And what are we doing? We are turning towards christ we're saying i want this and so if there's sin in our life we say i don't want what characterizes adam in me i want what characterizes christ is that not what we do when we repent is that not repentance when we turn from some you never turn from something without also turning towards something when we turn from sin, we're saying, look, I no longer want to be characterized by anger and rage and malice. I want to be characterized by kindness and mercy and love and humility. This is the si- We don't take off and put on as separate actions. These are simultaneous actions of sanctification, of what it is to mature, of what it is to repent. And so, um, just real quick, what does this look like? Um, there's many examples we can use. Uh, we can use anger. That's, that's one that's kind of prevalent in society right now. There's a lot of people who are angry, right? Angry about who's president, who's not president. Angry they didn't get their way. Um, and, and, and then what we see is that this anger is turning into what? Violence, protest, other stuff. See, what's in the heart always comes out. You can't keep it. And so maybe some of you, you're angry about the election. Maybe some of you, you're angry about um, your marriage. About maybe uh, something with your family, children. Maybe you're angry with something at work. Maybe you're just simply angry. You're just kind of now consumed with anger. And when we, so what do we do? When we come to a passage like this and it says, put to death anger, take it off, be rid of it. So, how do we do that? Well, we come to it and we say, God, I see that I have anger inside of me. I see that that characterizes Adam and my old self. I now pray that your spirit, through your power, would, would break that sin in me, would remove it, would kill it, so that I would become like you. God, I want to be loving. I want to be more patient. I want to be tender. I want to be kind with my words. That's that's how we go through this. And it's everyday process. Some sins are going to be able to be taken off quickly. Some are going to take it much harder. Some sins you're going to take off. Then later you're going to notice you're going to take them off again. But that's how we do it. We come to the word and we see, God, I see that this is sin and it's in my heart. So I'm asking you to take it off, to kill it. I don't want it in me anymore because i know it doesn't please you help me to become more like your son jesus and then the next step is you walk over to your friend your spouse whoever and you say look i'm struggling with anger right now i need prayer would you pray with me would you help me go through god's word and help me understand better the nature and character of christ that i would become more like jesus instead of like adam We involve others at that moment. That's why uh, you've been given the Spirit of God, I've been given the Spirit of God, that together we would help one another become more like Jesus. So that's a little bit of what it looks like to actually kill sin. You can do that with anything. If you're struggling with your words right now, you come, you confess that, and you say, Father, I want to use words like you use words to build up, to encourage, to instruct, to love. Words full of grace and mercy. And you trust that the Spirit is working in you through His Word to accomplish that. So there's a danger here. And the danger is that a a lot of you are Christians for a long time. And there's something that happens. um, Often it seems like in America, we'll just kind of characterize America right now, that we can hear the Word of God and it's kind of like someone walking in to your house and saying, Hey, did you know that your grass is growing? And you say, oh, that's nice. I like that my grass grows. And so as we come and we say, hey, you've been saved in Christ, raised with him, hidden in him. So you can kill sin and become more like Jesus. Okay, that's cool. Next sermon, we'll just come back next week. Um, There's a danger there. Um, I think that's sin in our life, just trying to, it's not that serious. The bloodthirsty lion's not that hungry right now it probably won't attack. Um, so what I wanna do is uh, I wanna give a few motivations for why we do this, how we do this. Um, few motivations. And, and I'm gonna suggest to you that these motivations might ruffle your feathers. Because they're gonna seem like, is that really Christian? And yeah, it is. And so so yeah, there's your, there's your, there's your answer or your preface. Number one, your motivation, it's who you are. It's who you are. When a caterpillar is transformed into a butterfly, what does it do? It flies. It doesn't crawl everywhere like a butterfly. Why? Because it's been made new. The reason you're breathing right now, do you know why you're breathing? Come on. Do you know why you're breathing? You have to. It's natural because you're alive, right? If you're not breathing... There's probably something wrong. Anyone not breathing? We have enough medics in here that we can... (laughs) Somebody's going to be saved here. Um, You breathe because you're alive. We take off and put on because that's who we are in Christ. That's what it is to live like Jesus. That's what it is to be raised with Jesus. Two passages. 1 John 3, 9. Think about these words here. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning that means just keep sinning unrepentingly it's not saying that as Christians we're perfect it means we're not just going to keep sinning going well I don't care that I sin but we don't keep sinning so no one of God no one born of God makes a practice of sinning why for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God he's no longer Adam he's in Christ That's why, number two, 1 John 3, 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he's given us. Here's clear commands. Take off, put to death, put on. If we do this, it's evidence of the Spirit in us that we've been raised with Christ, hidden in Christ. If you don't kill sin, then you're not in Christ. Okay, see, feathers ruffled. What, what? No one comes to Christ without sanctification. He saves us so we'd be mature in Him. He saves us so He'd make us more like Him. We have clear commands here. We cannot treat sin casually. It doesn't treat us casually. It wants to kill us. And now because we're alive in Christ, we want to be done away with it. That's some of the desires that the Spirit now gives us because we are in Him. I think, Brian, i just keep using Brian. I'm so glad you, t- you came up here today. You gave me stuff for my sermon. Uh, you said the word, is, the word of God is the food for our souls. The food for our souls. It's what we cling to. It's what we need. It's what nourishes us. So I want to encourage you. If you've been born of God, then we, we kill sin. We seek to become more like Jesus. And, and be, be encouraged. If you see that in your life, means you're saved. If you're wondering right now, well, I don't really seem to be killing sin. In fact, I seem to be okay with it. Repent. Practice repentance right now that you would know that you're in Christ. Number two, it's to see Jesus. Okay? We kill sin and put on Christ so that we will see Jesus. And here's some passages. If you go back to Colossians 1, which is a couple pages earlier, it says this in chapter 122. Notice what Paul says. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Great news, right? God has saved you, reconciled you, so that he will one day present you to himself. Isn't that beautiful? Coffee cup verse, right? Verse 23, if, if, condition, if indeed you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven of which i paul became a minister you've been saved so that you will be with jesus and the evidence of that is that you're continuing on in the faith killing sin becoming more like jesus if you don't do that he's saying you will not see jesus that's what the text says first thessalonians 4 3 this is the will of god Do you ever wonder what god's will is Here it is. I love this verse. Here's your coffee cup. Your sanctification. Can we go against God's will and say we're going to see Jesus? 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, and I added 8. So 8's not going to be up here, but I'll read it. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. What did he call you for? For holiness, to be like Jesus. Therefore, whoever disregards this, the idea of becoming holy, disregards not man, but God who gives you His Holy Spirit. He's giving you the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit would work in you, making you become more like Jesus. So therefore, if you go through life and you say, I don't care about holiness, you didn't disregard God or man, but you disregarded God. Hebrews 12, 14. This might be the clearest one. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see that? Now, these aren't necessarily meant to scare us, but as we grow in our knowledge of Christ, as we take off and put on, we grow in confidence. We're going to see Jesus. We're going to see Jesus. The pure in heart will what? See God. So that's the point. As we grow in our knowledge, our, our um, assurance grows because we see that we're looking more and more like Jesus. Now, I know that some of you right now are saying, well, wait a minute. This all seems crazy because we say that we're saved by grace, but now it appears we're saved by grace, and then we have to do these things in order to actually be saved and see Jesus. Is that right? Well, yeah, kind of. But it's because we just need to better understand grace. The grace that saves us is also the grace that hides us. Remember that? Um, Go back to Colossians 3. We looked at this last week. It says in verses 1 and 2 that we're to seek the things that are above. Verse 2, set your minds on things above. Why do you do that? Verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ. The way we do that is because we're in Christ. The reason that we can do that is because... So say, he gives us these commands, but then he says the means of accomplishing these commands is the fact that you're actually in Jesus. And so we're saved by grace, this grace then makes demands on us, you get it? it makes demands, take off, put to death, put on, and then it supplies the very means for accomplishing those demands. You get it? So when grace makes demands on you, it also supplies the very means to meet those demands. So we'll give one passage to illustrate this, and it's Philippians 2, it should be up on the screen. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Here's the command. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Mature in Christ. Grow in sanctification. Become holy. Become more like Jesus. That's what he's saying. So is this to be an oppressive command? Oh, Paul. How do I work this out? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Look, the reason we can fight against sin is because we know that there's grace. The grace that did a work for us is doing a grace is doing a work in us so that we will be with Jesus. And we can have confidence that we'll see Jesus as we continue to take off and put on. Number three, it's for joy. And this is the one, this, um, I came across this last week at the conference that some of us went to and it was just good. And so I wanted to be able to share it with you. Psalm 1611 says this. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So where is their joy and where is their pleasures forevermore? It's in the presence of God, right? It's in the presence of God. Go back to Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 1. You've been raised with Christ. Where are you? With Christ. Chapter 3, or verse 4. You've been hidden with Christ. Where are you? In Christ. You've been saved, that you would experience the joy of Christ, and as you take off and put on, you're just simply moving more and more and more into Christ. So that what? You would have more joy. The taking off and putting on is a fight for joy. God's not sitting here going, I saved you, Ah, too bad, you don't get to have any fun in this life anymore. That's not the point. He's saying, I've saved you for your joy. And as you move more into me by taking off and putting on, you're going to experience this joy more and more and more. Um, I'm just going to go to the next point real quick. And we're going to cover this more next week. But uh, last question is, what does it mean that Christ is all and is in all? Verse four, here there is not Greek and Jew Circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. What we see is the old Adam is divided, right? All all of humanity under Adam is divided. And Paul gives three categories. Greeks and Jews. Circumcised, uncircumcised, meaning barbarians and Scythians, anyone like that. And then there's slave and there's free. Today we might say it like this. There's black and there's white. There's Republican, there's Democrat. American, non-American. Trump, non-Trump, Hillary, non-Hillary. I mean, You can just, just pick whatever you want. We can be pretty divided on about anything. Wall, no wall. I mean, pick your poison of divisions, right? Like, there's, there's a lot. We don't have to actually become too creative. Under Adam, all of humanity is fractured. In Christ, there are no divisions. Look at what it says but in Christ, but Christ is all and is in all, meaning when we come to Christ and we've been redeemed so that we take off and put on, we are joined with others who are in Christ, who are taking off and putting on, and just as the Father and the Son are one, so now we are one. You see that? Like, God's not just saving you, He's saving a new humanity. And your process in sanctification is used as a means of sanctifying others as well. And we're going to look at that uh, next week on how God uses you and God uses me. And together we grow in what this new humanity under Christ looks like where there's no divisions. Um, But as we close, by faith you've been raised with Christ. All by faith. Through the grace of God. The evidence of your salvation is that you now take off sin and put on the character of Christ. That is the evidence of your salvation. And you can do this because God is at work in you through His Spirit. He's given you everything that you need in order to become more like Christ. And His power is surging through you right now that you would become more like Him in His image. Amen indeed you have everything you need i want you to know that like there's not if you're a christian here you're not only half equipped through the word of god and his spirit in you and the body of christ you have everything that you need and together we can grow in knowledge of jesus christ and in his image the grace that saved you is the very grace that's working in you right now that whatever sin you are struggling with whatever sin comes your way now or in the future is able to be overcome by his grace that you will know for sure that you are with him for all of eternity because the grace that did a work for you is doing a work in you so that you will be with god forever let's pray father we thank you that you you have saved us we thank you that your grace transforms us. We thank you that your grace provides all the power, all the means, everything that we need so that we can continue to become like you. Your grace even gives us the new desires that we want to be like you. And that God, that this is not some stale process, but it's a It's a process of joy as we move closer to you. And Father, I pray that as we have gone through your word today and as we get ready to leave later today, that we would know that you are a God of love, full of joy, and that you share your joy with us. And the way we experience that is in your Son, Jesus Christ, and by being made like him every day. I pray that we'd be encouraged in our walk, encouraged as we read the word, Knowing that every time we read, every time we're gathering with believers, every time we're praying, every time we're drawing close to you, you're making us more like your son, Jesus. To you be all glory and honor. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, quick question today. When you said take off anger, what about other negative emotions and what ones? Um, I think any emotion will fall into it. We, we, we try to figure out what the root is of that emotion. And so, um, if you're sad, why are you sad? Like, what was that sadness coming from? Is it a, a sadness of a frustration? Is it depression? Is it doubting in the goodness of God? Doubting in the plans of God? Um, I think one thing you want to do is just whenever you're struggling in your emotions, you want to come back to see what are you doubting in Christ? Because there's always something that you're going to be unbelieving or you're doubting in Christ. You want to come to, to what is that so that you can understand well, why are you feeling this way? Because remember, we want to get to the root um, so that then we can properly confess that and properly work through it with others. And so I think whatever the emotion is, we bring it to other people also, and we can ask them for help, for wisdom, and helping discern our heart um, but no matter what the emotion is or what the action is, we we can come and bring those to Christ, um, and we simply want to know. I think a good practice is knowing why we do them. Is always trying to get to the root of it. Uh, so that's a good question. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have our potluck today, and so I encourage you all stay. Um, and fellowship with us and enjoy that time. It's a good time. We even stay for our business meeting. It's a good time to see how do we operate. Who are we? Everyone know what a church looks like. Look at their business meetings. <laughs> You'll see how gracious or ungracious they are. Um, and I can. And the thing is, is I can really say it's come. Like our business meetings are good, and we are going to try to keep them moving today. And so we're going to try to be done by about one one fifteen with all of the business and all. So we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna eat and we're gonna do business. So I want to encourage you, Bill, stay for that. Um, Let me pray as the team leads us in one last song. Father, you are good. And Father, we thank you that we can come to you with any sin. And we know that you have the power to overcome every sin and you have overcome and defeated it already at the cross. Lord, may we know that when we're taking off and putting on, we do so from a position of victory in you. The, The war has been won. And so Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you give us the strength for our everyday battles. We thank you that your spirit dwells in us and is with us, strengthening us. We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of the people. And Lord, even as we fellowship today during the potluck, may you, uh, may you strengthen the fellowship that we have. May you make our, our fellowship with one another even sweeter as we grow in our love for each other and our trust with one another and our joy that we are tied together forever as family.